All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Use promo code HockeySeason, capital H, capital S, all one word, at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic.com, and all over on those social media platforms. Go check them out. Free shipping on orders over $50, so go check out Zephyr Epic. My name is David Quadrelli. I am very pleased to be joined, as always, by the man who built the place. Chris, this is two hyped-up entrances in a row. I'm on a roll. Chris Faber. Chris, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. Yeah, we uh, gave you back-to-back hosting jobs after your performance on Saturday's show, so uh, you're running with it. Yeah, you. Uh, I don't know how many words you fit into that first 30 seconds there, but it might have been a record for you. 
Yeah, I I can do that when I'm when I'm rambling like that, and I've got to get that get all that info out there. You know, our friends at Zephyr Epic, I love to give show them all the love, so I got to put a lot of excitement into that, and I can get all of that out there right away. But Chris, we have a lot to talk about today. There's going to be a lot of words said on this podcast today, and before we get into it, I just want to kind of walk it back to Saturday because. On Saturday's episode, people heard us talking about Jim Benning's press conference. That was the thing. Like, we recorded right after that press conference, basically, like the evening of, and it was our instant reaction. And now, like, there was, I didn't get anything. I don't know. You get, you get more DMs from listeners than I do, Chris, but like, there was nobody that really was like, oh, you guys were unfair or you guys were ragging on Benning. Like, there was none of that. Like, I, I didn't get any of that. I don't know if you did, but I didn't get any of that. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because today, we're going to be very pro-betting because there's a lot a lot of stuff right now that we're going to talk about. The main thing, the big story of the day, is Ian Clark and the Canucks going separate ways. I'll break that down, but first, Chris, did you get any messages uh, Get any messages saying we were too mean to Jim Betting on the last episode? Uh, maybe one or two mentions, but no messages. No, I maybe there's some of those in those message requests that I dabble into every couple of days and try and read them but uh no it didn't really get too many of us hating on it i think that we were pretty fair with what we said about jim benning i think uh you know hearing a lot of the things that he said in that presser nothing really stuck out as something positive and progressive for getting this team towards winning a stanley cup to me i just i didn't get that feeling from him and you know it's it's kind of a strange time to talk about this team and the way that they're at because they've won four of their last five they're you know on the back of thatcher demko they're looking like a team that's able to compete in this division and yet still it's hard to really be positive about this team just because of what they did at the start of the season. So it's it's a really weird spot, but looking at it from a big picture thing, I don't think we were too harsh on what Jim Benning said because there wasn't really there wasn't really like maybe more than like one quote. Like we both we both thought that one of the positive quotes that came out of him was giving support to Travis Green, but aside from that, like there wasn't a quote or anything that he really said in that you know, if you look at it, it was about an hour and 15 minutes. If you include what he did on Sportsnet 650 with uh, Scott Rintoul right after he met with the media, like, there wasn't really one thing that stuck out as, like, positive. Like, there wasn't a real good take from him or a good plan laid out. And I, I just, I can't get over the day-by-day thing still, you know. It's it's an unfortunate thing to hear. And I don't think we were too harsh on him at all. So maybe maybe we didn't warrant too many uh, DMs or, or bad call-outs on Twitter. First of all, Mr. Popular goes, the message request that I go into every once in a while. Wow. How many message requests do you get in a day, man? That's 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 insane. But anyway. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's... If, I can, if I can add to that, a lot of them are like at like 6.30 in the morning and it'll be somebody asking me, hey, do you have the link for the Pod Colson film? Do you have link for Pod Colson? Do you have link for Triamkin? Why aren't you giving me Triamkin clips? Like a lot of them are, are me <laughs> covering the Russian hockey. Uh, so a lot of my message requests are at like from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. when I'm watching KHL. Wow. Wow. Okay. I, I love it. I love it. But Chris, we've got a lot to get into. Again, one of the one of the positive things we pointed to last week with Jim Benning's presser was saying that Mikey DiPietro needed to get in games. Friend of the show, guy who's been on the show, geez, I don't know what, like four or five times now. He's only talked to me on the last three episodes or whatever it's been he's, because yeah, he's one of I my most, goalies. one of my arch rivals now in the media scene in Vancouver. I tell him that when I see him uh, at the rink because I told him that you know you're in you're in Quads' ear too much now and Quads won't want to stop talking about goalies. But go on, go on. <laughs> Yes, Kevin Woodley, friend of the show, was on the VanCast uh, this week, or today, I guess. We're recording this Tuesday night, going to have it out Tuesday night, and he dropped some bombs. He was talking about how Ian Clark, there's a good chance that Ian Clark walks. Now, 
as people know, when every time Woodley comes on the show, he says he's biased. He knows Ian. Uh, you know, he he talks to him. But Woodley did point out, and I want to make this very clear. Woodley says that he's basing this information on Clark's history in Columbus not coming from Clark directly. Like, that's something I just want to preface here because a lot of people will, you know, it's like that meme of the guy showing his theory theory out and he's, like, got all the lines and, oh, Woodley knows Clark, this is what's going on. No, this is not coming from Clark directly. Woodley is saying that he's basing this off Clark's history. And again, that history, for those that don't know, when he was in Columbus, Clark decided around this time of year that he was not going to be returning. And it was because the club hadn't started negotiations with him. He sold his house in Columbus at this time of the year. So with the Canucks, if there's nothing in place right now, I don't think he's coming back. That's kind of what Woodley was saying today. And man, that is a tough one to tough one to take, Chris. And before I get your reaction on it, I'll just say my final thing on it, I guess. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But the thing is, a lot of people are going to point to this and say, oh, this is just like the Judd Brackett situation. Jim Benning's forcing out another good mind in the room. That's not what's happening. Like, that is not what's happening here. I, I honestly, Chris, I've tweeted it today. This is like 0.2% Jim Benning's fault. This is 100% on ownership, not wanting to pay him. And if they don't get a contract done, that's who you should be looking at. You should not be looking at Jim Benning with this one. Now, I put that out there and, you know, some people that I talked to on the regular kind of didn't have a pushback, but someone replied and made a really good point. Like, you know, the, the only reason he doesn't want to spend money is because Jim spent so much on garbage players in the bottom six. And, you know, that's fair. Yeah. So I think that's where the 0.2% comes in. If you want to weigh it more than that, sure. But I think you're reaching at that point. I think to to its at its core, this is an ownership issue. And honestly, it's... Okay, sorry. You, you say some stuff. I have a lot to yeah. say. So you go ahead. I, I would like to add to that too and just say that I think hearing Woodley speak on it, and Woodley's, you know, a guy that you talk to a lot, I talk to here and there, mostly to get mad at him for talking goalies with you, but, like, I, I found some of the things that he said in the interview with uh, with Drancer and J-Pat kind of interesting, and it just kind of, like, tied some things together in my mind where it it feels, it feels like, you mentioned it's a di- very different situation from Judd Brackett, but I think it, it might be actually a very similar situation where the autonomy that, Ian Clark has been given over the past couple of years has been great, right? Like you mentioned it. Look at the last drafts. Every single draft that the Canucks have had with Ian Clark, they've drafted a goaltender. You brought it up, I think, last week when we were talking off air that every single draft that the Columbus Blue Jackets had when Ian Clark was there, they drafted a goaltender. This past draft, they don't draft a goaltender, right? That's something that's kind of different that stuck out. And I don't know, like, it it just feels like there are some similarities to the way that we saw Judd Brackett lose power where, you know, the the Mikey DiPietro situation. Like, Ian Clark's a smart guy, and the fact that he's going to be able to work with Mikey DiPietro a ton, and he has been all season long, Ian Clark, like I said, is a smart guy, and I think a smart goaltender guy knows that goaltenders have to see shots and have to be in action to develop. And something that Woodley brought up in that interview was like, this might be 19 months long without facing game action and facing shots. That's that's a horrible situation for a 21-year-old goaltender who turns 22 in June in the offseason coming up here. Like, he's got to be in game action and facing shots. And I 
I wonder if that's the, the, I guess the straw that breaks the camel's back on Ian Clark not wanting to return because for a long time he's gotten his way. You know, he's gotten to draft Silos. He's gotten to draft uh, Mikey DiPietro in a draft. I mean, they've, they've gone out and they have got some goaltenders. They've went out and signed free agent goaltenders as well. So I, I just haven't seen that over the past year. And the only thing that makes me think that it might be a different situation than the Judd Brackett situation with drafting is because of COVID, right? Like COVID does kind of throw a wrinkle into the situation where, you know, we're in a spot right now where the coach doesn't have a, a contract next year. The goaltending coach doesn't have a, a, a contract in the next year. The Canucks are going to have to fill that role. And a guy like Ian Clark, with his prestige and what he's done around the NHL and his, it's similar to Judd, right? Like Judd, like a lot of people would go out there and get Judd Brackett as their director of amateur scouting because He's a great guy to have in that spot. Ian Clark might be at a higher level than what we see from Judd Brackett. I mean, oh, Ian Clark sure. is well known around the league as potentially, if not, you know, it's arguable probably because there are some guys out there, but he's one of the best, if not the best goaltenders coaches out there. He's going to get a job wherever the hell he wants in a second. And it's something that was brought up by Kevin Woodley on this show when you talked with him, you know. He doesn't even have a house in Vancouver to sell, right? Like, he doesn't have a house in Vancouver. He doesn't stay here in Vancouver. He lives in Florida in the offseason. And I just found it kind of interesting to say, like, it, it, you mentioned that it's a different situation from Judd, but there are a lot of similarities in the way that the relationship is kind of unfolding here near the end of their contracts. I see what you're saying. I absolutely do. But I do want to say on the drafting thing, we know that the target for the Canucks was Joel Blomquist, and that was a guy Ian Clark was very high on. Uh, not to not to pat myself on the back, but that was also the guy that I told you was going to be the best goalie from this draft. I'm just I'm just gonna say that, and I, I was really high on him too. But anyway, that's that's not important. But uh, n- I, like I see the similarities, Chris, and I know what you're talking about. It's just at the end of the day, Judd was forced out due to Jim. Like that was basically what happened and that's just not what's happening here like Jim Benning loves Travis Green he loves Ian Clark and the fact that neither of these guys have a contract you've got to look a step above even in Jim's press conference that's why we picked it as the best quote right is Jim was saying I really want to get Travis signed and it's like okay then well why don't you and we know the answer to that question right Right. and I think that's what kind of separates this from Ian and Judd like you know maybe Ian wants a raise we don't know that but we know Judd didn't want a raise so it wasn't a money issue and man you're, you're right when you say that he's going to be someone picked up right now the goaltending coach in Calgary is Jason LaBarbera Jiga Markstrom's not having the best year but if Ian Clark's back on the market and he makes a little special request to Calgary to go pick him up I wouldn't be really surprised, and there's just so many options out there, and I don't know, Chris, like, the guy's gonna find work, we're not, you know, like, it's just a matter of where, right, like, it'll be almost like Judd, where he was let go, and then he's hired, like, as soon as he's available, it's like, yeah, he's the new head of the Minnesota Wild scouting department, and he had multiple teams, right, it's like, it's gonna be a similar situation, and like you said, I think Ian's gonna be in higher demand than Judd was, and that's not a slight against Judd, but... That's just how well-respected Ian is around the league. Yeah, it's. I, I get that you're saying the, the differences, right? But the similarities for me is a guy doing a great job in the position that he's been given, and someone above him is putting him out of that position. Like, that's sure. that's the way I'm looking at it. And I, I, I get that it's coming from ownership different in this situation from the GM and Jim Benning and the Judd Brackett situation. All that has happened and played out. We've obviously seen that happen. It's just unfortunate because... 
you look at a lot of the way that some of these teams are built and you don't hear them talked about a lot in Vancouver. You do specifically, right? Because this fan base, this media group, everybody is so dialed into this team that you're going to hear about the goaltending coach or the great work that Manny Malhotra did with the guys in the faceoffs or, or other situations where there are guys thriving in the roles that they're given. I mean, heck Chris Higgins has done an amazing job from everything that I talked to prospects. Like a lot of them were dealing with Chris Higgins a lot before Chris Higgins moved up into a different position with the Vancouver Canucks. Like a lot of these guys in college were dealing with him. A lot of guys overseas were dealing with him. Now that's been kind of moved into different people in the organization. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing for other guys to be talking with these prospects. And I think it's, it's great to have communication, but you know, it's a perfect example of just like, this guy's doing an incredible job. You would like to keep him in your organization and he doesn't count against the salary cap. Like this is a guy who makes your team a lot better and he doesn't count against the salary cap. So that's why I get where your point's coming from, where this comes from ownership, right? I mean, obviously, I, I like Jim Benning has made you know some bad moves along his tenure as a general manager. <laughs> I don't think he wants to add to that losing Ian Clark. I don't think he wants to do that at all. I think he wants to keep Ian Clark. I think he wants to keep Tra- Travis Green as well. So, there, yeah, it, it's a really bad situation. I think hearing those words come out of Kevin's mouth today on the VanCast was like, you know, it was. It felt like a dagger. The fact that he said, "If there's no contract now, he doesn't really think it's going to happen uh, by the end of the year." I just think that there might be a little bit of a caveat there that, you know, because of COVID, like that's the only excuse I'm really giving for Travis Green to not have a contract and Ian Clark to not have a contract, just because of COVID. But. You know, there's a lot of other things at play because Jim Benning, his job certainty is is really up in the air after the season, if not right now already. So it's hard to make these decisions, you know, from the owner. Like, should the owner be the guy who's deciding who the goaltender coach is? I don't really think that's the right decision, right? No, it's not. And that that's why you hire a hockey ops department. Like, that's what they're for. Let, let people do their jobs. That's how you run any organization and make it solid. Before we wrap up here, Chris, I wanted to say a few things. So I think the first thing is, is I'm dropping a story. People heard about it on Saturday. I'm kind of holding on to it for a bit. I'm trying to talk to one more person. I won't say who. I'm but, working on it. Uh, I'm working on it. Yeah, I know. You're, you're my contact for that. But I have quotes from Jake Kiley and Arthur Silovs. Okay, so Jake Kiley, literally last week, he said, I mean, honestly, the biggest thing for my career has probably been working with Clarkie. Obviously, he has an incredible track record of working with different goalies throughout different periods of time, and he just finds a way to make his goalie successful. Honestly, last year was a bit of a learning experience for me, being a first-year pro, figuring out the lay of the land and stuff like that, but being able to go into the year knowing exactly what Clarkie wanted from me, being able to go in and have expectations for myself, I feel like I was able to bring a better game into camp, but also elevate myself throughout the time I was up there. He's such a wealth of knowledge that any opportunity you get out on the ice with him, you just have to soak it in and try to implement what he's trying to tell you in in a way that works in your game. And then with, with Silovs, he just talked about how he's never had a coach like him. It's been a great experience. It's just about improving my movement, my skill in total, and he makes me a better goalie. Imagine reading those quotes. And the story's not published yet, so, so in all fairness, nobody's read the quotes. This is the first time people are hearing those quotes. But like his track record speaks for itself people understand what this guy means to this organization and every goaltender in the organization is talking about him and saying how much of an impact he has even these guys that have worked with him 
for like less than two hours. It's just, <laughs> it's insane to me. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I've never experienced anything like working with him. And it's like, you were only on the ice with him for one training camp and you're saying this. Imagine wanting to lose that guy or being, not even wanting, being content with losing that guy, I think is a more appropriate word for it. But I think the last thing I want to say about Ian Clark, Chris, is kind of what you were saying is he's making your goaltender super successful. Look, Thatcher Demko is playing with Clark right now, and Thatcher Demko has arbitration rights. He's going to get a nice contract this offseason. If you lose Ian Clark and you're paying Demko like the Demko he was this year, what if... And I'm not saying Markstrom's playing poorly because he's away from Ian Clark, but I don't think it's that much of a coincidence. What if you sign Demko and then you come into next year and he is not what he was this year? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying that this is a guy who doesn't count against your salary cap and immensely helps your organization top to bottom. Again, he helps with amateur scouting, he helps with developing these guys, and he helps with your goaltenders at the NHL level. Honestly... It's crazy that we're having this conversation, Chris. I really want to believe that they're going to get something done. But again, you're getting later and later in the year. So who knows? I I agree with you. And I want to I want to actually expand on that a little bit today. I had a good conversation. Uh, I was at 650 working today. Uh, and I had a good conversation with Raja Shergill, who uh, hosts on Friday night with our, our fellow writer at Canucks Army, Josh Elliott-Wolf. But uh, something we were talking about was what that contract looks like. So I'll, I'll get your opinion like, going into next season, what do you think a contract for Thatcher Demko looks like? Honestly, I haven't looked at any comparables yet. I don't want to put out a number, but, I mean, I've talked to a few people, and with Arbright's, like, right now, what's he making? Like, 2.1 or something really but cheap like that? Yeah, it's it's definitely, I think it's even lower than that, to be honest. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's... Like the way that we kind of settled it into things, and sorry, I'll, I'll pull up the number real quick. So yeah, he's still on that one one point oh five million dollar contract. That was Yeesh. what a two year deal that he signed, I think. Yeah, so it's going to be more than that, and he has arbitration oh, rights. So like, I see them coming in at like four million, and he's probably you know Jacob Markstrom was on what I think three point two five, but Demko's put up really solid numbers, and if he keeps this up, he's going to have a serious arbitration case, and all of a sudden you're looking at. Oh, this is the offseason where the Canucks have to get Elias Pettersson, uh, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko signed. You know, right now, a lot of the conversation was, oh yeah, it's the big offseason. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson got to get signed, and then you work from there. What about your goaltender? You can't go into next year with Braden Holby as your starter yeah. for one year left on that deal. You can't do that. So, yeah. and you know, to, he's to got add to that, Yeah, to add to that, I just found, like, the number that we kind of settled on that felt in, in a good deal for the Vancouver Canucks was two years at 3.75 per. Right, so a yeah. two-year deal, seven point five million dollars. That feels like yeah. a good deal for the Canucks. I don't know if it's a great deal for Thatcher Demko because the thing that I was bringing up was: Does Thatcher Demko come into training camp next year making less money than Braden Holtby, and it is okay with that? You know, yes. if, like you said, like you said last week on the show, if if Thatcher Demko plays twenty-five of the final thirty games, he's got to come into this contract looking for over four million dollars per year, and that's. I think that in that situation, if you're paying them over four, the Canucks want to get three years out of that deal. Because after that, that's when you're going to have to pay 
I think after this next contract, if Thatcher Demko continues to trend into being one of the better goalies in the NHL, like, let's be honest, look at the numbers that he's putting up with his goal saved above average. He's one of the top 10, if not top five guys in the NHL. If he continues to trend that way as a guy who's just becoming a starter now, we're talking about a guy who's making well over $6 million on that, on that contract after this one. So I think that if you get him over four, you try and get him for three years. But if you go two years, you can get him maybe around four or just under that. But that's the thing, you know, like we talk about this contract that's coming in for Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. If you're just giving another like push the stick down the road, you know, contract here with Thatcher Demko, the next one's going to be huge. That's going to be something that we're going to be talking about a lot, you know, two or three years from now. So I just found it kind of curious because it's strange, right? He's making just over a million dollars right now this season and he's giving you that much production he's going to be able to ask for a lot. I think he's going to be able to ask for a good amount over $4 million when he comes into that arbitration. So it's going to be interesting to find the middle ground there for sure. Yeah, holy cow. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this contract, and I'm trying to think of comparables. I honestly can't off the top of my head, so we'll have to get some, kind of reconvene, and then bring it back, and we'll yeah, yeah. we'll have some in a future episode for sure when we get closer to the time that they actually have to get him signed. But all I want to say, Chris, is... My take that Holtby should only be starting back-to-backs for the rest of this season doesn't look so bad right now. And I think looks pretty good. I'll give you that one. You you uh, you shocked me when you said it, but man, it uh, it looks good right now. Well, the thing I want to add, Chris, and fans might not be happy to hear this. And trust me, I'm I'm the goaltending guy. Like I, I always stick up for the goaltenders. But one thing I'll say, and I almost tweeted it. Thank God I didn't. Um, in the first period of that game, and kind of second period as well and just throughout the game Thatcher Demko didn't look very sharp he was making the saves but his feet weren't as quiet as they usually are he was missing his post sometimes there was different things going on with his game and I was thinking about tweeting be like you know he's played great but I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks go Holpi next game because Demko just hasn't looked great tonight and I'm sure uh, Ian would have said the same thing to Travis and I'm sure Travis probably even saw it himself but I didn't tweet it thankfully I didn't because he had a great game um well, yeah but just the, I, I got something to add to things. that just if I can just add to that quads yeah. I, so I was I was sitting um at the game the last one that we just saw what was it what, uh, Monday night I guess was it yeah so yeah. Monday night I was sitting right behind Kevin Woodley uh and behind me was Drancer and uh and Farhan as well so Woodley's obviously talking back and and he mentioned it he's like the feet are moving too much for Demko and the crazy the craziest thing was like he even said it he's like watch he's like he's like watch Demko handle the puck the next time he has to it's gonna be a mistake and it was so crazy. Demko goes behind the net to touch the puck, and the puck shoots right out in front of the net. Oh and we God, all just, yeah. like, me, Drancer, and Farhan just look at Woodley, and we're like, what is wrong with you? We're like, what is going on in your brain that you can predict the future? And, like, he just looks back at us and, like, doesn't even say anything. It was just, like, the most crazy <laughs> prediction of the future that, like, happened within minutes of him telling us that, like, he's like, Demko's a little bit off. His feet are moving too much, and I got a feeling he's going to make a bad play when he goes out to play the puck. And it just, it happens, like, minutes later. And we're just like, what is going on? Like, what the oh heck is this God. guy? Like, like Woodley is the man to talk goaltenders to. And it was great to hear him on the bandcast today, for sure. I uh, Speaking of what he said today, and, and our argument last week, it, I just want to say, Quads, after listening to Woodley today, it for me, it feels really good to be right about that disagreement that we had about DPS. Oh, get out of here. He said they should go to Utica if they sign a third goaltender, which I completely agree with. But they're not signing one, Chris. So get out of... La La Land or whatever. Well, you're, just whatever what you, you said it. was like, oh, expect all these games in Manitoba with Mikhail Burden, who they're not going to play. You know, they're not going to sit anytime soon. 
I'm just saying, like Manitoba won't play Mikey DiPietro a lot. And, and you yeah, know what? Actually, lot, I'll do this. Play him more since, than he's playing in Vancouver. Right. Since we're, yeah, I agree with that. Like maybe one or two games. But the thing that you're going to hear later on, because we're about to throw to Corey here, um, and something that I found interesting. So the, the Comet schedule coming up right now, they have nine games over the next 21 days. To close out this month of March, they have nine games starting on Wednesday. They have nine games in the next 21 days. This was the time to send DiPietro down. Last week was the time to send DiPietro down. We saw it with Jack Rathbone two weeks ago. You know, they got to a point where they said, this guy has to play games. This would have been the perfect time to go down and get him seven starts over the next 21 days. That would have been the perfect time to send DiPietro down to get some action. And you'll hear that at the end of the conversation when Corey and I discuss it. But this is a missed opportunity for me with Mikey DiPietro. And to hear to hear it kind of be expanded on by Kevin Woodley, the goalie guru in this market, uh, it just made it just made a lot of sense. Like, why wouldn't they send him down last week? Because this would have been a great time for him to really get those reps in and play some actual games. It's it's a mistake on the Canucks end, if you ask me. Absolutely. They need to have a third goaltender to do that though, so that's why they didn't do it. But again, that's above above Jim Benning's duties. That's that's all I'll say to that. Um but yeah. I don't know, Chris. It's just I think a lot of a lot of the kind of conversations right now that we're having are above Benning. So last week we were dragging Benning, and now it's well, this actually isn't Benning's fault for a lot of the stuff we're talking about this week. <laughs> uh, I think now is a good time to cut to break, Chris. We will have the conversation. You talked to Corey Hergott for what twenty-two minutes, I think you said it was. So we'll have that and much more from our sponsors. And on the other side, Chris and I are going to break down, there's a couple trade rumors floating around. Nate Schmidt and Tyler Mott's names have been mentioned, so keep it locked and loaded on the Canucks Conversation. McEwen into the goal and he scores! What a play by Zach McEwen who draws the Comets to within one. A little shimmy shake. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for Epic Case Break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game? 
Well, problem solved, folks. Same day delivery now from the folks at Parallel 49 Beer. That's right, the P49 crew is here and available on Uber Eats. All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.parallel49brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer. Alright, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade. The Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks. Pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best, tastiest drink on the market right now. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. Alright guys, and joining us now, you know what time it is from the intro. It's time for Riding the Bus with Corey Hergott, fresh off of talking to the Utica folk today. And we got a lot to talk about about the leading scorer right now. But first, Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well today, Chris. It's uh, been a good day in my world today, so uh, I'm, I'm raring to go. Absolutely, and uh, a beautiful day today. How was it over there? It's nice. It's uh, we. My wife Shannon and I got out for a walk today, and uh, I mean, we try to do that every day. But uh, we've got a little a little track that we use around our place, and uh, today was a great day for it. Absolutely good to hear. I've been seeing uh, some pictures of the grandkid popping up lately, Corey. How's uh, how's it going? Now? Over one years old, eh? That's insane. Yeah, Forrest turned a year old on the twenty sixth of February there, so uh, it's uh, time went pretty quickly. It, uh, it it goes by very quickly. I I was looking at the photo uh, on my Facebook profile. There's the from the day he was born, mm-hmm. and then uh, we uh, have a photo from on his birthday, and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm le- I'm kind of sitting on the couch, kicked back with my arm my arm over the arm of the couch and Forrest is kind of leaning in front of me uh, kicked back with both his arms stretched over on the couch and uh, it's uh, it's one of those proud uh, grandfather moments he's like he, he looks uh, he's just kicking back like his paw mm-hmm. good good to hear how what's the uh, what's the gray situation in the beard because I know I've gained a few I'm wondering does turning into a grandpa just overload the grays into the beard or what Oh man, my uh, I've barely got any hair left on my head, and what's there is pretty salt and peppery, and it has been for a while. And uh, my beard has been full of gray for you know probably a decade or more. So uh, the, the gray hair didn't come with uh, with the grandson. I think the gray hair uh, just it just uh, showed up one day in my thirties. Well, speaking of dealing with kids, uh, one of my favorite moments from last year was uh, was Jonah Gadjevich doing an interview with a little girl where he had to explain to her what a fiance was, uh, and she didn't <laughs> like that word. I don't know if you remember, she like stuck her tongue out, didn't really understand what the word fiance was. But a lot of talk about Jonah Gadjevich today. You mentioned it before we started recording that uh, that was kind of all the talk in the Zoom call today. Uh, so, what did you kind of take away from some comments from Trent Cull and as well from speaking to Jonah? Well, the thing that uh, I kind of I kind of opened the uh, 
I, I opened the questioning today with the fact that uh, Trent Cole has gotten rid of the old cookie duster, so the mustache is oh. gone and, and the flow is gone. He's he's been to the barber now, <laughs> so uh, kind of once we got that talk out of the way, I I you know I kind of pointed out some of the things that I've noticed in Jonah's game. You know, he's just everything seems to be happening for him a little bit more quickly this year, and and uh, I asked. You know, ask Cole what what his thoughts were and what he was seeing, and and he uh, spoke at length about the fact that you know Jonah is an incredibly hard worker. He's very coachable. Uh, he's a guy that is. It's not just on the ice; it's off the ice with him. He's in the gym all the time, working hard, and and he does what he needs to do to improve his game. And uh, he said everything is is just happening more quickly for him this year. He's just got that extra half a step or extra step to uh, beat guys to pucks that he maybe wasn't getting there before. And, uh, you know, and he's just, uh, he's grown as a player. He's matured. He's uh, he's a bigger guy. He's, uh, you know, he's grown physically, but he's grown as a hockey player as well. And, and let's face it, Jonah's, uh, he's not just a, you know, a fourth line grinder out there that doesn't know how to play hockey. I mean, he, he's got a good head for the game. He's got very, very good hands. That's, uh, that's something that I spoke to Jonah about actually, um, you know, I kind of, I've kind of started calling him Jonah on the spot now because a lot of his goals kind of tend to come from right in tight, in close. Uh, he always seems to be there when he needs to be. So, you know, he, he knows where he needs to be on the ice, but he's also got the hands to be able to make those quick decisions in close to make those goals happen. And uh, I asked him if that was something that he worked on because we've we've discussed his skating, you know, to death we've we've spoken so many times i've you know i've actually made the joke to jonah before are you sick of talking about your skating yet and he said i absolutely am so i try to kind of not steer the, the conversation that way with him and uh i kind of asked him if he was you know what he was doing with his working on his hands this off season and he said that was a big thing that he did work on was you know uh being you know being able to make those decisions quickly and close in tight uh being able to redirect pucks working on his hand-eye coordination and, and i mean he's whatever he's been doing it seems to be paying dividends for him um you know jonah's he's taking steps right now and i mean uh cole lind he's, he's been the first line center all season and he left uh part way through the game last game after taking i believe it was a stick up high and uh, he was uh, in a red uh, no-contact jersey today at practice. Uh, I asked Cole about that. Uh, or somebody, actually, it wasn't, I don't think it was me that asked. It might have been Ben. I don't want to take the wrong credit here. But uh, he was asked about uh, Cole. And uh, Cole won't be an option uh, for for tomorrow's game and uh, Ben Burnell had uh, mentioned during the uh, the uh, Zoom call that uh, the top line was now Berchi with Yashik and Gajevic so Jonah's getting a promotion to the top line it looks like at least for tomorrow night's game and uh, I think that's something that he's earned I mean uh, if, we, if we'd have been saying you know two years ago when he was having such a tough adjustment to the to the pro ranks that he'd be leading the team in scoring two years later uh, i think we'd all be pretty happy with that most definitely and i think you've talked a lot with him we've had him on the show as well and one of the interesting things that i wanted to bring up of what he said when he was on this podcast was that 
he kind of understands the role that he needs to play to get to the NHL. Like, it's similar. The way that he compared it, I think, was what he needed to do to make Team Canada that year that he made the World Juniors and, and kind of shocked a lot of people, right? Like, the fact that he made that team and Cole Lynn didn't, you looked at the numbers that they had in junior at the time and it didn't really make sense. But the way that he kind of explained it was, like, he understands the way that he has to play to be a contributor on a fourth line or, you know, a bottom six line. And the way that this line kind of shapes up, like, the way that we're going to see him play with Sven Berchi and Lucas Yashik, like, to me, that kind of just feels like a progressive fourth line of the NHL. Um, what are you kind of excited to see him play now with skilled guys like a Sven Berchi and a Lucas Yashik, who are, are going to drive a lot of offense? And, I mean, Jonah, you mentioned it. Jonah on the spot. He's going to be around the net at all times to finish any of these rebounds or loose pucks. Well, I mean, we've seen the, how good of a playmaker Sven Berchi is, and if he's got a guy that's got hands like Jonah that can, you know, that is going to be there because that's where Jonah goes. He's, I mean, he's got a, a beeline for the net on just about every shift. As soon as they're into the offensive zone, he, I've said it before, he knows where his bread is buttered. That's mm-hmm. where that he's money there. So, if Sven's got a guy like that heading to the net on as many shifts as they can spend in the offensive zone, I think good things can happen from that. And you've got a guy like Yashik who, uh, you know he was shifted back over to the wing uh where i think he's probably better suited i think you may think that as well but uh you know yashik on the boards is a guy that uh you know makes a lot of things happen and and comes away with the puck fairly often and you know again if you've got a guy like gadjevic in front of the net that's that's pretty exciting because he can make make something happen there mm-hmm. and i'm all for a guy like jonah having a good season this year a guy who's you know he had a tough adjustment to pro, but we've seen, uh, you know, year over year progression from him as a player. And when you're, when that's the job in Utica is to develop hockey players, uh, that's, that's a player that's developing within the system. And, and I'm here for that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're starting to see a lot of that this year. I think, I think the thing that we're starting to see with the development this year specifically is actually having success. Right. And I think that's part of the train of developing these guys down in Utica. You know, we're seeing success from Jet Wu, Jack Rathbone, Jonah Gadjevich now taking a big step. Uh, one of the interesting ones for me is Lucas Yasik. And now we're going to get to see him for a second week now on the first line. Uh, maybe for people that just haven't seen Lucas Yasik play, and I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago as well, so people that saw that article knew that I liked the move to center. I thought that you know him as a playmaker is something that he's probably the best at when I see his game. But for you, Corey, what is it about Lucas Yasik that you like so much? It's his motor. I mean, he's a guy that's going all the time. He's You don't really see him coasting around the ice very often. He's uh, a guy that can be put out on the power play. He's a guy that can be put out on the penalty kill. He's a guy that can be used on the wing, on either wing. He can be used in the middle. He's a Swiss army knife, if, or a Czech army knife, if you want to call him that. Um, he's just a very, very useful player. He drives the play. He's fast. He can uh, shoot a puck. You know, he can make plays. Um, I'm not saying that uh, he's going to, you know, be an NHL player who's going to be piling up points or, or winning a Selkie trophy, but I think he's a he's a very useful player. I think he's just one of those kind of unsung hero kind of guys who goes out there and goes about his business every day and, and gets the job done, and he can, he can help your team on both sides of the puck. Most definitely. And, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of game action for these guys coming up soon. I mentioned it before we started recording here. Uh, nine games over the next 21 games or 21 days to close out the month here. Uh, I, I guess just kind of what are you most excited for, Corey, about getting to see so many, 
so many games for the comments here because really i mean you mentioned it before we started recording here you know it's like one game this week two games the next week then 10 days off you get one game it's it's been a strange schedule to start the season so how excited are you now to have nine games in the next 21 days well, for me, that's that's the regular kind of thing. Like uh, covering the comets for the last well four years now, it's been Wednesday, Friday, Saturday every week, and uh, this is the first time this year that this is happening. So it's it's very uh, it's very strange, but very comfortable for me at the same time. And uh, I mean, I brought it up with uh, with Cole today at the uh, on the Zoom call and said you know how are you feeling about this you're finally getting like this is what you're used more used to and and he said yeah it's kind of funny we're finally getting back to an ahl schedule and we're running out of players and you know they've got so many players called up uh you know they've uh, they lost uh call in to an injury last game vincent arsenal might not uh, be able to play uh, the upcoming game uh so a couple bodies out couple bodies maybe back in it sounds like hugh mcging and john stevens might be able to play so uh you know they've been using uh you know a seven defensemen and, and 11 forwards the last couple of games which is certainly not ideal uh, I think uh, Josh Wesley is going to be, he's a defenseman from the St. Louis system. I think he'll be playing as uh, possibly as a forward in, in the uh, game tomorrow. So it's, uh, it's just one of those things. You, they, they have to kind of roll with the punches. And now we're got, we've got, uh, you know, three games this week uh, against Rochester and Syracuse, uh, teams that we're going to see a lot this year. We get to see that uh, rivalry continue to develop between these uh, these clubs, which these are the games where the players like Jonah Gadjevich can can shine. And and uh, you know what is we're we're seeing uh, you know Will Lockwood uh, in he's playing well in these games as well because he's uh, he can bring that physical element and that's kind of getting I think on the nerves of some of these other teams that are seeing him a little bit too frequently <laughs> when uh, you know he's he's doing his chip and chase and then he just fills a guy in on the end boards uh, to finish the play and, and take the puck back and uh, you know I think he had seven shots on goal in the last game yeah. um, so he's Will Lockwood starting to heat up a little bit too. He picked up an assist last game as well. I think his his first goal is only uh, you know we could see that this week. So I'm excited. These young guys are getting put into into uh, you know good opportunities. It's something that was discussed on Utica Comets Insider this week with uh, Rain and Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rochester right now has uh, one of the best power plays in the league. Uh, so when the Utica Comets young uh, penalty killers like uh, Jet Wu and uh, Carson Folk and Will Lockwood are out there put going up against, uh, you know, one of the top power plays in the league, you know, on a very regular basis, that's good for them. You know, they're sure they're, they're, they're part of the reason why Rochester has such a, a high octane power play because the Comets have given up some goals. But these guys, they're, they're learning you know, trial by fire uh, against a very, very good power play. So that's only going to make these guys stronger as the season goes on. And, and I think that's good. These guys are being put in good positions to succeed this year. Yeah, and, and speaking of special teams, we saw a huge power play goal for his first as a pro uh, from Jack Rathbone last week. Incredible moment. Uh, just, just an absolute bomb of the shot. I guess, Corey, by the end of the month, could Jack Rathbone be the leading point getter for this team, do you think? Oh, it's entirely possible. I mean, I don't know that he's going to continue to produce at the the rate that he is right now. But uh, you know, he I 
I also can't say that he won't because, uh, you know, he looks impressive. He doesn't look like a guy that's just cutting his teeth at the pro level. He looks like a guy that's been kind of waiting to get this season going for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's ready to go. I mean, that, that was a bomb, uh, the big wrath <laughs> bomb there. That was, uh, you know, I've seen Reed Boucher launching shots from kind of in that vicinity a lot over the last few years in Utica. And it was uh, it was something to see Rathbaum hammer that one. And, uh, man, he was excited for that goal, too. Yeah, most definitely. The celebration might have been just as good as the one-timer there. That was uh, pretty awesome to see. And that pairing, I mean, a lot of Canucks fans are very excited when they hear about prospects down on the farm and they hear about Jack Rathbone playing with Jet Wu. That's a pairing that's just worked. I mean, you and I have both, I think we both tweet pretty much at the exact same time every time that they're out there with the first forward line because they have possession the whole time in the offensive zone, whether it's the Cole Lind and Yasik and Berchi line or whatever mix they have for that first unit. I mean, when that first forward group is out with the Rathbone-Wu pairing, it just feels like magic, doesn't it? It does. And, and you know, a, a lot of that obviously has to do with the fact that, you know, you've got a very good player in Sven Berchi out there who can, you know, help a lot of that along. And you've got a, a very good uh, rookie there in, in Jack Rathbone who doesn't look like a rookie. But, you know, one of the things that I, I took away from what we heard from Jonah Gajevich this week as well, and I think this might have been on Comets Insider, but he uh, he mentioned Jet Wu specifically about, uh, he, you know, Jonah said, I had a tough time in my first year coming into pro. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing guys like uh, Jet Wu and Carson Folk coming in and not having that same sort of issue with adjusting. And he said it's huge for them and it's huge for our team. So, I mean, that's, that's a guy, you know, Jonah, you know, obviously realizing and, and knowing how his first year went. And then looking around at guys coming in this year and saying, you know what, these guys, uh, they're not having that same kind of issue making that adjustment. It's not to say that they're doing everything right by any means, but this is, you know, these this is a good sign when you've got young players that are stepping in right away and not really looking out of place. And because of that, the coaching staff can trust to keep putting them out in situations and seeing how they respond. Uh, you know, guys like uh, Cole and Jonah, they weren't ready for that early on. And uh, that's why they they weren't getting put into those opportunities. And, uh, you know, that was the one thing that Trent Cole said today as well about Cole Lind, you know, like with Lind being out, that's, that's a big hole in the lineup. Uh, you know, like I said, they they had 11 forwards the last few games and they were double shifting the centerman and, and uh, the centerman who's being double shifted the most was Cole. He was out there almost the whole game and, uh, you know, because of that, he was on the ice for a few goals against, but um, that's, they're going to miss him. They're going to miss him uh, over the next game or two or three or however long it's going to be. Um, you know, he's he's gone from a player who who is a complimentary guy to know he's he's they need him to be the guy so um yeah having a guy like him out of the lineup is, is gonna hurt for sure yeah and that's something that you've talked about a lot i think even before the season started that it was the time now for colin to be the guy you know that was the that was the sentiment that we heard out of utica that was something that you've talked about a lot uh but another guy that i want to bring up because every time i get dms every week why don't you talk about sven berichi why don't you talk about sven berichi why doesn't Corey talk about sven berichi more so i gotta just we gotta go in on berichi a little bit here because at 515 they're getting scored on quite a bit when sven berichi is on the ice we got six points from him so far uh one of them on one goal on the power play one goal at five on five 
what's what's really not clicking like it felt like last year with Sven Berchi, where it just felt like, you know, it felt like he didn't really belong in that league. Like, it looked like an NHL player, right? Last year, every single shift from Berchi, it just felt like an NHL player. Is there something different this year, or are we just not seeing the points kind of add up to it right now, do you think? I think it's it could just be the different kind of a season that we're seeing in the AHL this year. I mean, it's hmm. it's pretty different for everybody. I mean, there could be... Uh, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say that there's, uh, like that Berchie's a, a discouraged player out there or a player that's not playing up to his potential. I mean, I think a lot of the time, I mean, it doesn't matter kind of who you look at out there on the ice. There's rookie or second year defenseman on the ice every time Berchie's out there, right? Like right. there, there, there's nobody on that back end with experience and uh you know now at least for the next handful of games we're going to be seeing a, a goaltending duo of jake Kiley and evan fitzpatrick so we're we're going to be seeing some uh, inexperienced net minding as well and uh you know that's all going to be part of it this year um you know berchie's out there as a top line player but he's been playing with uh you know a guy getting his feet wet as a center at the pro level all season so far as well so maybe Sven's kind of having to pick up a little bit of slack for Cole uh on the defensive side of things and that's pushing him maybe a little bit uh further out of his comfort zone than than what he's uh prepared for right now I'm not too sure yeah it's it's an interesting I just it feels like maybe just like a piece of the puzzle might be missing in his game. And it might be something as, as simple as, you know, he's not playing with a Reed Boucher, right? Or or even like when Sam Annis was there, they looked great. When that line was together, that looked awesome too. And and you mentioned it, there's different guys hopping up and playing in different spots. But there's, there's one final thing I wanted to get to here, and you brought it up with the goaltender situation. We saw it last week, or I guess two weeks ago now, with Jack Rathbone being sent down just in time to get into these games on the weekend. And I thought there was a great conversation on the VanCast this week with with Kevin Woodley as well, kind of talking about Mikey DiPietro. And I don't know if you listened to last week's show, but uh, Quads and I had quite the argument uh, about Mikey DiPietro. I thought he should be in Utica, and it felt like this was the time. Like, with these nine games over the next 21 days, like we talked about, this felt like the time to get DiPietro down to Utica. Like, last week should have been the move, I think, with, with the whole week off from last Wednesday to this Wednesday. I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you think they're losing not having Mikey DiPietro down in Utica playing in these games right now? Well, see, I, I sent out a tweet uh, before the season got started uh, when it was first uh, mentioned that every team was going to have to carry uh, three goalies, one, having one on the taxi squad. And, and I tweeted out that, you know, if the Canucks aren't uh, looking to find, a, you know, a veteran goalie to to use as their taxi squad guy maybe they should be yeah. um i had some pushback on that from some people that that said you know it's better off for di pietro to be working with uh, ian clark and and i had time for that conversation you know Absolutely. if if ian i mean i'm not a i played goal but i'm certainly not a uh, a goaltending expert or a goaltending coach and if like ian clark is the goaltending guru that we all think he is if he thought that the best place for Di Pietro to be would be working on the taxi squad. Then who am I to to uh, kind of question that? Mm-hmm. Uh, my my school of thought right from you know the start of all of this was that Di Pietro should be playing every game in Utica, um, yeah. but that's that wasn't going to be in the cards this year. So if he wasn't going to be like the the whole the idea of sending him down and having him quarantine and then play some games and then having him quarantine before he can come back. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, how how 
feasible that's going to really be um uh, that said i don't see any reason why they you know there's there are a handful of teams in canada that are that have some ahl uh, teams there maybe one of those clubs or a combination of those clubs could uh, get some action for di pietro over a handful of games this year i kind of figured he'd be swapping in and out of Manitoba with Silovs if, if yeah. the idea was to keep him in on the taxi squad. Um, you know, he's a young goaltender. He finished last year, um, chat like he was five wins away from taking the record from Thatcher Demko for most wins in a season in, in Utica. And that was his first year. Uh, he was everything trending in the right direction for him. So, I mean, I I wanted to see him playing, but uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not thrilled with with him sitting on the taxi squad and, totally. and not seeing any game action. Um, that said, I'm not there. I don't see what he does in practice every day. I don't see, uh, I don't get, uh, I don't hear reports or whatever about how that's going. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to see him playing. Yeah, I think I think this week and the way that just set up with an actual kind of like you mentioned earlier, regular AHL schedule kind of happening for the rest of the month, like, that felt like you could get eight starts out of Di Pietro. Like, you probably could. I mean, with a couple of back-to-backs, maybe seven, I guess, because they are going to have a couple of Friday and Saturday games. But, like, you could you could easily get six to seven starts out of Di Pietro at the end of this month if you would have called him up last week. And, and all this time with Ian Clark is great, obviously. I mean, he's one of the best goaltender coaches in the world, one of the best guys to talk goaltenders with in, on this planet. I just feel like his game right now... Like, I think it would have been excellent to see him take all these things that he's learned from Ian Clark and then go establish what he can do at the pro level now. And for people that don't really know, Corey, maybe if you can just break it down. You talked about it a little bit there. Uh, 21-11-2 record for DiPietro last year, 9.08 save percentage. Is is that just shocking from a guy who comes in as a rookie and just becomes the starter? Like, like does that happen at the AHL often? Because I feel like it doesn't. Well, I mean, we've seen some pretty strong goaltending performances in the AHL before from rookies. I mean, Thatcher Demko was no slouch in his first year in Utica. Um, you know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't a right out of the A or sorry out of the uh, uh, the CHL. He yeah. was coming out of college. He was a little bit more mature, but uh, we do see you know young goaltenders come in and show really well in the AHL fairly often. Um, I'm, I'm maybe not necessarily all the time as well as Di Pietro did last year. I mean, don't get me wrong, he he didn't have a bad year by any means. He had a he had a really good year and and uh I just I think it would have been wise to have him kinda pick up where he left off and, yeah. and keep keep going with that. I mean, that's that's the real thing here. And I mean last year he was playing really, really well behind uh, you know, a fairly solid group of defenders there compared to what we've seen this year. So maybe part of the reasoning behind not putting him in the AHL was they were possibly worried about him having to face uh like a lot of high quality shots because of the young uh, defense core there. Maybe they thought working with the with a big group up up top would have been better for him for confidence wise i'm not sure uh but i i kind of think that having him back there playing behind that group would have uh really been able to put him into a position where you know sink or swim let's see what you've got pick up from last year and see how we do and and i think he's the kind of guy uh, everything i've heard about his work ethic from robert ash and uh, the, like the hardest working player he's ever seen uh, you know that's a, that's quite the quote from somebody who's played with some pretty incredibly uh 
incredibly well-regarded leaders and, and hockey players. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Di Pietro should be playing. Yeah, I, I completely I completely agree with you in that spot. And uh, I guess we'll wrap things up here, Corey, because coming next Tuesday, uh, I want you to save your voice a little bit because we've got three games to talk about this time next week. So uh, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, obviously, the two home games means that we get media availability after those as well. So uh, there's going to be a ton to talk about. I'm sure that your comments wrap-up on Sunday is going to be a typical Corey article, maybe, maybe even up to 4,000 words. Are you going to push it on Sunday or what? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. The last one wasn't. Uh, I, I've been keeping them pretty good this year. I've yeah. been getting too carried away. Well, but, this is your uh, time to this is your time to shine now, Corey. You got three games. You got to let it rip yeah. here. Three games uh, this week. There'll be uh, there'll be plenty of uh, plenty to talk about for sure. And I think we'll probably have a, some pretty interesting storylines coming out of this. Whether that's. Uh, you know, Jake Kiley having to step in and be the number one, whether that's uh, maybe Jet Wu finally picks up his first point, maybe uh, Will Lockwood grabs his first goal, uh, maybe we see Carson Folk really go on a tear. I mean, he's been playing with two pretty good players with Curtis McKenzie and Nolan Stevens. Uh, you know, that's a pretty pretty good couple of guys for him to be learning with right now so uh lots of good things could be happening this week and i i really do expect uh we'll also be talking next week about how jonah gadjevich uh, is still uh either leading the team in scoring or or awfully close to it because uh i i don't think i see him slowing down anytime soon uh that said he is dinged up a little bit uh that was a little nugget that uh, i'm not sure that trent cole meant to drop today in the in the uh, zoom call well, good to know. I guess, okay, we'll close out with this. Final question. Three games coming up here. Give me how many goals and assists do we see from Rathbone in these three games? Ooh, uh, man, Rochester's seen him a couple of times now. So uh, three games, uh, five points. He'll have two goals and three helpers. Ooh, I like it, Corey. That's good to hear. All right, well, we'll close on that note. Appreciate you jumping on as usual, Corey. And like I said, Next Tuesday, man, we uh, we got a lot to talk about. So uh, thanks for doing this, and we'll chat again next week. Right on. Have a good one. And a massive thank you to all of our sponsors, and of course, Corey Hergott for joining us for a ride in the bus. Chris, we've got some stuff to talk about to close out the show here. The big one, a couple from Elliot Friedman's radio hit today on Sportsnet 650. But He talked about Tyler Mott in his 31 Thoughts column, I think that was, and he talked about Nate Schmidt. Both of those guys' names, the Canucks have been getting calls on both of those guys. Now, I guess we'll let's start with Nate Schmidt, just because he's healthy right now, and he obviously would garner a larger return. Nate Schmidt, they're getting calls about Nate Schmidt, and Elliot says that Vancouver might not want to do it. They don't want to take a step backwards. Chris, what do you think about the idea of trading Nate Schmidt? And presumably... You're getting a pretty good return for that. Like that's that's first round pick territory. He's a legitimately legitimate two three defenseman. Like that's that's good. That's good value to get a first for him. I I I've heard a lot of people say that getting a first round pick isn't enough for Nate Schmidt. The way that he helps this team and and kind of secures a top four is a great setup for the Vancouver Canucks. And it would be if the Canucks were competing for a Stanley Cup right now, right? I think he's he's a valuable asset for a team that's competing for a Stanley Cup. The Canucks went out and, you know, in, in a long-form way of doing it, like we, we kind of touched on this off-air, but in a long-form way of doing it, this is actually, you know, using your cap and weaponizing it, right? Like if you're able to switch a third-round pick 
for Nate Schmidt and then trade it for a first round pick on a team that was just told by the general manager two years ago, or sorry, two day, like a few days ago, that they're two years away from competing for, for a Stanley Cup and starting to be in a playoff mode, you know, and Nate Schmidt's going to be 32 at the time. I, I feel like a first round pick, if you're able to get that, and if not even just a first round pick, but potentially more, because the way that we saw the trade market last year, was it Barkley Goudreau ended up getting a first round pick? Like yeah, a guy who, yeah. who was playing third and fourth line minutes ends up getting a first round pick. Yeah. So I wonder, like, what could you add to a first round pick to get Nate Schmidt? And whatever that deal is, I'm there for it. I'm definitely there to hear it and see what can happen. And don't get me wrong, Nate Schmidt has been amazing in this market. I mean, from day one of us talking to him when he was in his home, uh, that, like, we, I think everyone in the media fell in love with him. And I do think that that's, that idea is out there that you don't want to move on from him because they have now found a guy who fits into your top four. But this guy's about to turn 30, you know? And we know what happens with defensemen when they turn 30, specifically defensemen that are known for their skating of the puck. Like, these guys just can't keep it up when they go into their 30s. It's just a simple thing to do. This this should be an ED ad. Uh, we should get Chew Blue on the show for this. But, uh, like, he just can't keep up that game into his 30s. That's a tough thing to do for defensemen. You see a handful of them do it out of maybe 50 every couple of years, but it's, man, it's it's a tough thing to do to continue to play at such a high level into your 30s as a defenseman. And if a first round a first round pick plus is on the table for Nate Schmidt, I think you take that deal and you have to run with it. Yeah, I think you're right. And just to play devil's advocate a bit, like it makes sense that the Canucks also don't really want to do that. Like, the reason they got Nate Schmidt was to shore up their top four because they wanted to compete. Now, I know the season didn't start the way they hoped it would, but listen, the Canucks are on a four-game win streak, and they just beat some really good teams. And I'm sorry, but if they can sweep Toronto and beat Montreal, and now I I get that Thatcher Demko has been a major reason for that, hence why they should keep Ian Clark, but if if you're able to beat the arguably the two best teams in your division and they've already beat Winnipeg so you're able to beat all the best teams in your division they like I I get that they don't want to do it right now like I get that because again we talk about guys like JT Miller and his comments when they got rid of Markstrom when they got rid of Tanev he was like it's surprising like he was surprised that they got rid of these guys and I I think he used the word retool and to lose Schmidt a guy who's a bonafide top four defenseman and has meshed pretty well alongside Alex Edler and is really starting to find his game he's played pretty well the past over these four games to lose him I think that just, I get that it's a better move long term. I totally get that. And I get the whole, if you're not going to be competitive for two years, according to the GM, then why would you want a guy who's going to be 32 and that contract could start to look a little scary on the back half? I get that. I get all that. But again, I'm also looking at the team in the here and now and I'm seeing, you know, they don't want to lose guys like that right now. That would suck for the guys in that locker room. And Again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I completely understand that it's probably a better move in the long term to do that. But again, like the guys don't want to feel like management's given up on them. And I think there's already kind of those thoughts with the way the offseason unfolded. And again, when you've got Chris Tanev leaving town saying he felt disrespected, like that's that's a tough look, man. And again, you you want loyalty to your team, right? And you want, you know, you want these guys to all take hometown discounts. Look, nobody's going to be taking a hometown discount if that's how people are getting treated. And if they're not buying into what you're selling, like nobody's going to take a hometown discount so that you can pay Louis Erickson more money or you can make sure that you don't have to try and trade Antoine Roussel or Jay Beagle and you don't have to try and get out of that money. 
that nobody's taking a hometown discount for that. The teams that take hometown discounts and get their players to do that, it's because they believe in what they're building in those markets. You look at Pittsburgh, you look at Chicago. What did all those teams do, Chris? They all won cups, okay? Canucks aren't winning a cup right now, and they need a better team to do that, and I just don't think that trading Nate Schmidt right now is the best way to tell your guys that, look, we're improving. Yeah, I, I think you're right, but I think looking at the money that you're paying to a guy like Tyler Myers is a perfect example. This is a guy who a lot of Canucks management thought that they were going to get a top four defenseman for the next handful of years in that contract, and maybe the money yeah. was going to die off near the end. But what if you have two of those guys starting to fall off into their mid-30s when you have a core yep. that looks like the core that wants to make a push for a Stanley Cup? Heck, if if Jim Benning was saying that this team's competing right now, you should keep Nate Schmidt for sure. But this team is going to have to go on a crazy run like you just mentioned it. You know, you sweep Montreal, you sweep the Leafs. That's a lot of sweeping to do that you haven't done so far this year. But I, I get where you're coming from. Like, it, it would hurt this team, but... If the plan is laid out, and if what Jim Benning told us last Friday is right, where this team is two years away from being competitive, being competitive for a Stanley Cup, the long-term effects of trading Nate Schmidt right now for a first-round pick. like I, I'm not saying go out and trade him for a third again. Because I think the Canucks, like I said, it's a it's a long like it's a way of weaponizing the cap in a long-term way because you're really just trading a third-round pick up to a first-round pick from just being able to get Vegas that extra money so they could sign Petrangelo. Like, it it would be thinking outside the box, but unfortunately, it's like an outside-of-the-box thinking of also weaponizing the cap, which is so strange to say. Like, it's basically like thinking outside the box exponent too. Like, it's a strange way of making a move and weaponizing your cap, but it would be a way of doing such a thing. And it's not all about the pick to me. Like, it's not about the first-round pick, who the Canucks are going to pick with their 24th to, to 30th pick in that draft. Like, it's about the currency. It's about the currency to go out there and say, okay, now if we are two years away, maybe we do swap that first-round pick for something, push it down the road to a first next year, or potentially go out and make another trade for a guy that's in a similar situation to JT Miller. Like, when you come around to the trade dead, or sorry, the, the draft, and you're able to make some trades with a lot more flexibility around the draft time, having an extra first-round pick to make a move for a similar thing like JT Miller is a huge asset for the Vancouver Canucks. If they're in a spot where they're like, we need to upgrade this part of our team. We need to upgrade a defense. Like A first-round pick is going to help you a lot at the NHL draft to get a guy who's a defenseman in you know 24 to 26 age range who fits this core just a little bit more than Nate Schmidt. Like, Nate Schmidt right now, the way that he plays, is a great fit for the Vancouver Canucks. Two years from now, when the team is competing, I would like to put my bets on a 24- to 26-year-old defenseman in a similar spot playing similar minutes to Nate Schmidt. And I think a first-round pick plus maybe a little bit, potentially the plus that you get from dealing Nate Schmidt, because I think he might get more than a first-round pick, to be honest. If you're able to get a good trade-off here, and a team that needs a guy who can sure up their top four and get them ready for playoff action... Like, Nate Schmidt fits in, in a, I would say, every, I don't think it's crazy to say he fits in every single team's top four, right? Like, he, he fits as a number four on any NHL team, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't think of a roster that wouldn't want him in their top four. Exactly. So, I think <laughs> um, that making that move now and just using it as currency into the future is a better move for two years from now. 
And I don't want to see Nate Schmidt go, man. He's great to deal with. But, you know, I also really want to see a Stanley Cup in Vancouver. And I, it's not about the picks to me because we've seen so many picks in this team. It's about how you're turning the corner now that you have made good picks at the draft. To have the cornerstone franchise players, it's about turning your currency into players now. And I just don't think the Canucks have built up enough currency at this point to be able to do that in similar situations where they went out and made a move for JT Miller to be a competitive team. Like, they're going to need another one of those jolts to the roster in two years to make that move from being a playoff contender to a Stanley Cup contender. And I just like the added currency of potentially moving Nate Schmidt for that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think when you're looking at the long term, it's really a no-brainer that Nate Schmidt helps when you when you get rid of him in a deal where you're able to get a first plus some more stuff. Totally. I, totally. Man, that's, that's a, again, like, that... It, it makes sense, and I love the idea. I just think I, I understand why the team likely won't do it and why they're not really entertaining the idea of it. But, yeah, I, I guess we can jump on to Tyler Mott now because that's the next player that was brought up. I think it was in 31 Thoughts. I haven't read the exact quote. I'll, I'll have to pull it up while you talk about it, Chris. But, man, that's another guy that Drance has been talking about. Drance has been banging this drum for a while He's going to need a new contract, and when he gets that new contract, he's going to be in the two and a half to three million range. Right now, he's on a good contract. Like the contract he signed last offseason, that's a good value contract for what he was giving the Canucks at the start of the year before he went down with that injury, Chris. And again, it was a high ankle sprain. He's going to be back, I think, two to three weeks was what I've heard um, for when Mott's going to be back. But again, that's another guy that when you're looking at the long term goal of the team, it makes sense that you'd try and get rid of a guy like that now while his value is high. I, I agree. And I think if you package something up with Tyler Mott, you're able to get a pretty high draft pick. Like, I don't think Tyler Mott's out there getting you a second or a third round pick. Maybe a third. Like, maybe a third, actually, because he's on a pretty good contract. But, man, if you do go out there and make a move similar to what, you know, what the Tampa Bay Lightning did. I, I brought him up earlier in this conversation with Barkley Goudreau. But, like... Is that not a similar player to Tyler Mott? When they traded him, he had 8 goals and 16 assists in 62 games. Is Tyler Mott not at a similar level to that? I mean, Barkley Goudreau was playing 16 minutes on a San Jose Sharks team that really needed him to play up in the lineup. And and I guess that's a little bit more value than what we'll probably see from Tyler Mott. But I don't think that, like, I think that a fourth and Tyler Mott gets you a second round pick. I'm pretty sure that's a trade that would happen. Yeah, I... I mean, throw it in NHL 21 and see what you get. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, <laughs> I think, again, that that's a good return. Anything's a good return, I think. It's just you want to be getting a pick or you want to be getting a prospect who has the potential to turn into Mott and a pick. You know what I mean? Right. You have to be looking long-term here. You can't just be living day-to-day. Here's the quote from Elliot Friedman in 31 Thoughts. He said, it sounds like there's some interest in Vancouver's Tyler Mott who played well in last season's playoffs. This is the time for telephone flirtation where teams ask about so many things that don't go anywhere. I think the Canucks were also asked about Nate Schmidt, but I don't sense that's got legs. Telephone uh, flirtation sounds like what you do on Friday nights right now, quads during a COVID season. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, this is a family that's, show, Chris. Uh, that's quads, on, that's quads on uh, your Snapchat stories on uh, <laughs> Canucks games. <laughs> this is a family show, wrap it up, talk about something else. Uh, I'll just say, like, it's it's such a similar situation to the Barkley-Goudreau spot that it, it makes a lot of sense. It, almost the exact same contracts, 
And if if you're two years away from being a team that is going to be in the playoffs, and I, that's one of the things that I do agree with from from Jim Benning. If this team's able to make the right moves over the next 24 months, we're going to be talking about playoff games. We're not going to be talking about draft picks or what we're going to have to do. We're going to be talking about playoff games. And if they can lay out this plan to get them there, I think that Tyler Mott could be a guy that adds to the currency for this team to look into the future with. And I just I think it's a move that they need to explore. Right, because he's going to probably ask for a raise after this two year deal that he signed. And you brought it up. I mean, it was written in the article. He had a really good bubble. Like he had a really good bubble. He was scoring big goals, two goals in multiple games. Like this was something that he was doing consistently where he raised his game for playoff hockey. He had a great start to this season. Obviously the injury hampered it a little bit. But I think there will be some interest for a guy like Tyler Mott who can slide in, be a first guy out there killing penalties for your team. He's a great addition to any NHL team. And I think that the Canucks are lucky to have him on their fourth line. He's a great fourth line player. He's a high-end fourth line player getting paid like a fourth line player. That's got some value on the trade market. And I think this has more legs, even though we spent a lot of time on the Nate Schmidt situation about potentially being traded. I think that there's a lot more legs to this Tyler Mott story. And you mentioned it. If, if he's back in the next couple weeks here and can even boost that up a little bit more, like there's going to be teams calling for him near the trade deadline. Man, it sucks that the Canucks are going to be losing all these good people. You know, like Tyler Mott, another guy who's a joy to interview. Nate Schmidt, again, speaks for itself. Like, why can't they trade, like, Louis Erickson? <laughs> Someone who just doesn't <laughs> talk much to the media. Just get him out of here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. In all seriousness, it's, you know... It's interesting, and it's going to be interesting to follow because trade deadline's in April, right? There's still some time here, and Tyler Mott's still not healthy. So we'll have to wait and see kind of how everything unfolds. But again, I think if you've got a team calling and offering you a second or a third for Tyler Mott, I think you've got to pull the trigger on that at the end of the day. Yeah, you just hope that Jim doesn't pull the old uh, good Branson trade. So you sure you don't want a second involved there? We're like, we'll give you a second as well. <laughs> you don't want that to happen again. So I think if, if there's a second round pick on the table for Tyler Mott and you're not giving up a third, I think that's a deal. I think a, a fourth in Tyler Mott for a second is a nice move up for me because, yeah, he's an effective player. He's a guy that you traded Thomas Vanek for. You know, it took a while, but Thomas Vanek is going to get us that draft pick. So go out there and make the move for Tyler Mott. Get us the draft pick that we all wanted wow. a couple of years ago with the Tommy Gunn trade and get us a draft pick for coming up into the future here. It's all on Tommy Gunn in the end, man. What a player Vanek was for the Canucks. I just, man. him coming down on the wing or in a shootout or a penalty shot, whatever it was, when he wired that slap shot, he did it multiple <laughs> times in that season. Like, what a fun guy to watch. What's he up to right now? I bet he's, I bet he's still ripping it up somewhere. Oh, absolutely. And while you look up where Thomas Vanek's playing right now, I just want to, you know, before we close out the show here, I just want to wrap up by saying I really got into the Pravis when Thomas Vanek was a Canuck. Like, that's when I started to become <laughs> a real, like, that, that was when I started to follow Canucks Twitter. Like, I was always a Canucks fan, but I would watch Sportsnet Connected. I'd, you know, listen to the radio when my dad was listening to it, listen to 1040. But that was the season where I started really following. And, you know, I had Elliot Friedman's post notifications on. I Rick Dollywell, all these guys, and I'm paying attention. I'm paying really close attention. That was the time when I really started to be involved on Canucks Twitter. And that was when I started to read the Provies. Uh, like, I, I had read them passively before, but 
during the Thomas Vanek era was when I like could not go to sleep until I had <laughs> read the Provies. And his nickname or Botch's nickname for Vanek, Tommy Gun, was just so good because it just fit perfectly. And I loved the slap shots from the hash marks on a shootout attempt. It was just perfect i honestly i loved watching him play he was like one of my favorite like niche canucks for sure and i think it might be just because i associate those great memories of reading jason botchford's work uh with vanek but regardless yeah vanek's one of my uh all-time favorite canucks same with Derek dorsett oh yeah absolutely so thomas vanek right now he is coaching the stillwater 14u a division team uh, he, he's coming off of like, he's still in his final year, uh, in 1920 last year, he, he still put up solid numbers playing for Detroit or sorry, that was two years ago, 18, 19 with his final season, 16 goals, 26, 36 games. You know, he was, he was still playing good for, for Detroit. I still remember love seeing him scoring goals and, and he's coaching now, uh, he's coaching his kid Blake, uh, in a 14 U team. So that's, that's good to hear that he's still involved with hockey and yeah. He scored 25 goals eight different seasons. What a legend. So is he is he coaching in North America or Austria? Uh, Minnesota. Stillwater, Minnesota. Oh. Oh, yeah. I just read it. He played in the USHL. I know, I know he's from Vienna, so I, I assumed. I just assumed he was going to, you know, be play his career in Austria. We got to get him on the podcast. I think that's that what be, needs to happen. Thomas Vanek that would on be the some podcast. Fun. That would be some fun. I'm gonna try and make that happen. So, uh, yeah, good way to wrap things up. Let's let's yeah. talk about betting and get out of here. Oh yeah, our friends at Odd Shark. We like to talk about the bets. Go check them out, Chris. There's a lot of good editorial content, a lot of good betting trends on OddShark.com. That's where you and I go to find our bets. And I don't know, man. One bet I hit on, I put how much did I put? I put twenty bucks on JT Miller getting two shots in that game. He got mm-hmm. four in that game against Toronto. And I, I'm just saying, man, scroll down to those prop bets, figure out what you do. A good play is Nils Hoglander getting shots, especially right now. Cause he's playing on the top line. Nils Hoglander likes to shoot the puck. I, that's a good bet. I think that's a pretty high value bet. So I, I always look for those ones, the prop bets for the shooting. And you can go look at oddshark.com and go find out a lot of different trends. Like what's the average over when these two teams play each other. I will say when Montreal played the Canucks last, last night, I did bet the under because I just had a feeling that we were going to get some good goaltending performances. And sure enough, that's exactly what we got, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. You got uh, Nils Huglander over his last 13 games for 40 shots on net, so he's averaging just over three shots on net per game right now. I'd hammer that. If you can get three on the over, that's one I would hammer. He hasn't done it the last couple games either. So last three games, actually, he's got two shots. This this next one coming up with him on the first line and Pedersen out a week. Uh, I can't believe we haven't even mentioned that. Pedersen's going to be out for a week, by the way. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk a lot more Canucks on Saturday's show. Uh, but there was a lot to get into again this week about just talking about the organization. And it felt like a good episode in the end. So, yeah, shout out to the folks at Odd Shark. I would take uh, take some bets on Niels Huglanders over on the shots right now. That That's a safe bet. I'm with you there. Apparent wrist injury uh, per Irfan Gaffar for Elias Pettersson. We should have mentioned that closer to the top of the show, not right at the end. So if you're still listening, thank you. <laughs> and now you know about Pettersson's injury. For Chris Faber, my name is Dave Cotrelli. Thank you so much for listening to the Canucks conversation.